five, four, three, two, fun. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Ready, Set, Poem podcast, your premier podcast for the Vancouver Titans, the Toronto Defiant, and for today, the Overwatch League. I am Chris at Lighthorse, soon to be joined virtually, as always, by Omni at Omni Strafe and Jordan at Sir Dr. JM. But we have a pretty huge guest joining us for this bonus show. We have Sean Miller, head of the Overwatch League, uh, coming in momentarily to talk to us. Not only about uh, the Overwatch League, maybe a little bit of Overwatch 2 action, uh, the esports scene. I mean, we're going to get into all sorts of different topics, I imagine. Uh, but uh, you know what? Uh, no sense uh, keeping you waiting. Let's bring them all in. Bring it on! I live for this! So I'm pleased to be joined uh, by someone you probably already follow on social media. You might know of him. Uh, his name is Sean Miller. He is the head of the Overwatch League, and he has graciously accepted an invitation to join us, which, to be quite frank, shocked the heck out of us. We thought, hey, let's ask the question, because what's the worst that can happen if someone says no? <laughs> Them actually showing up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What do we do next? But, you know, welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, good to be here and excited to just talk about OWL, Overwatch, and life however we want to do it so thanks for having me cool 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 so i mean i thought we could uh you know dive right into the conversation and and get to know you a little bit before we get into the overwatch side and you know being the you know prolific podcaster that i am and you know person who amps things up on social media i did a little digging you know this investigative reporting that us mm. us content creators do <laughs> and uh i i stumbled across your uh, linkedin profile and you have a very strong background in finance and a, you know i'm curious how does someone who has this background in finance you know find himself into the world of esports i i ask myself that and uh many other people ask myself that all the time so it's a a, a very um astute observation and very good um investigative work there chris impressive uh so uh a couple of things like first overwatch um just as a game, I hold such a special place in my heart and genuinely. So my daughter, my first daughter was born um, January, 2017, right? Which is just right after Overwatch came out. And um, so naturally, like when you have your first kid, especially you kind of, your, your evenings and your life changes drastically, obviously. And Overwatch was kind of the thing that like, genuinely kept me I still don't know actually if I'm sane right now I think I like to think I am but uh kept me sane throughout those early you know months and years of of uh of my my daughter's life and and you know that that period and having Overwatch attached to it will always be there and so um you know I was working as as you could see on my profile um at a bank and finance and um and that's when um, I ended up going going out and, and getting an MBA back on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, it just kind of hit me like I could keep grinding away at things like finance or whatever, um, or I could go do something that I found a genuine love for. Um, and so Blizzard got to be on the top of my list. It just happened to be that 
the the Overwatch League was in its inaugural season during that time. It was 2018, and I was looking for an internship, and I thought, you know what, this looks pretty awesome. And so um, I interned at uh, at the league in 2018, and you know have uh, kept coming back since. They haven't been able to kick me away, keep me away, even uh, despite a couple of, of back and forth of um, of different stints. And so, um, also just esports generally, I'm, I'm a pretty competitive person and, and have liked sports. Um, and so, um, it, it's just found this niche for me personally that um, work doesn't get boring ever anymore. You know, it's just fun. Yeah, I, I will admit if I could somehow translate podcasting into a, a full-time day job that uh, that not only paid the bills, but uh, put a little away, I would be happy. Um, instead, it's now a hobby of mine that I, I continue to do. But I I was curious, like when you sort of, you know, got to do more of what you were really enjoying and you, you found it like, how did this sort of evolve? Because you, you sort of started on the operations side, I think within the organization, and then, you know, just over the course of this past off season, you know, the head of the, the Overwatch League. Uh, was that sort of a, a conversation where you're like, hey, Sean, we'd like you to do this? Or was it sort of an opportunity where you're like, hey, I'd like to do this? And you sort of threw the hat on it. Uh, a little of both, I'd say. So um, the my first boss at the Overwatch League was John Spector <laughs> back when I was an intern. Um, and I think from the get-go, me and him and the rest of the team broadly have always um, – connected really well and worked really well together. Um, and, and so throughout the years of when I was there, you're right, I was doing more kind of uh, product strategy type things. So actually Pickums, um, as we know them today, was like one of my intern projects. Uh, not exactly how it looks today, but like that's kind of one of the things I was, I was working on. Um, and then you're right, when I came back the second time, was working um, – both on like designing the formats and the season structure and the schedule, but also um, helping all of our franchise teams with their, with their business operations, their sponsorships. Um, it's called Teambo uh, at, at the league. So that's, that's the function. It's very much like how the NBA runs their own Teambo. Um, and so as kind of those experiences developed, as we worked closer and closer together, like co-streaming was, very much a um, a pet project of mine and a few others at the at the league when I was um, there before. Um, we all just developed such trust for each other, and then when John realized that he had a great opportunity at the as the commercial lead for the Overwatch franchise, mm-hmm. and we had been keeping in touch um, all last year, um, yeah, it was it was just kind of a natural conversation that happened between us and uh, Sean. You should think about coming back. And so I did. And, uh, I'm seven months in now, I guess, and still don't really feel like, uh, I've in any way filled the shoes that John, uh, left me, but, um, you know, we're, I think we're, we're, we're doing well. And, uh, so far the season has, has gone better than I expected, frankly. So <laughs> good to hear. Um, you know, before we actually get into the season, one other question I had for you, and it's, it's, more about the esports scene. I mean, I, I find that uh, the esports scene is a is an amalgamation of people that come from you know different backgrounds. There are some who grew up in it. I know as far as demographics concerned, mm-hmm. um, the Atari didn't have an esports scene when I was growing up, so it took a while before I could uh, 
I could get into it. But, you know, to, to yourself specifically, I mean, what's the most surprising aspect of this, this esports scene? Yeah, that's funny. You didn't have, you didn't have pong tournaments, uh, back in the no, day. Well, I mean, we might have, but it would have actually been a physical table with two physical paddles. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's called uh, ping pong. Oh, oh, that, oh, that. that. it's, Oh, it was actually, uh, yeah, there you go. No, um, so I, I think there's a couple of, of really surprising things. And actually, as you were saying that, if I can go off the, the, the cusp a little bit, I remember one of my most like grassroots level, I love Super Smash Bros. Um, and uh, I can be a fairly annoying NES player, but um, the uh, I think it was for my 22nd birthday or something. That, that's exactly what we did. We had a Super Smash tournament. Uh, it was a pay-to-enter tournament. Uh, and uh, that was like... Anyway, your, your, your comment about Atari just reminded me of that. I hadn't thought about it in a long time. But, but how'd you do in the tournament? I think I took... I think there was like 15 of us, maybe. And I think I took 5th or 6th. Okay, okay. So, you know, respectable. Yeah, yeah. Respectable. Um, there were more annoying Lucas players than, than I was. So they, they won. Um, and in fact, during my MBA, man, I'm really going off the here. Uh, I, I set up the first inaugural uh, Duke UNC uh, esports tournament uh, where we um, got both teams together in, a, in a, an environment uh, on campus and and uh, duped it out. That's a terrible pun. But uh, the surprising things to me about esports are i remember when i first went to uh, an esport live event like you know at a professional level with uh, the overwatch league when we had our our blizzard arena in in, um, burbank and i knew that like people were going to be excited i knew you could see it on broadcast You, you you kind of get the sense of like um, there's a certain level of, of passion and excitement that players have um, when they when they go watch their their game be played at a professional level. And um, but I think I, I was very surprised at actually the the level that they were at. They were higher uh, and more excited and more passionate and had crazier signs, like all of it that um, that I didn't expect. The other thing that surprises me about esports and continues to surprise me um, is, I think, a function of how nascent the industry is, and just from kind of a business model, um, product planning formats. Like, we continue to see so much variation across the landscape between like how Dota does it versus how Fortnite has kind of landed where it's mostly in game versus how obviously like we at Activision Blizzard do it. Um, and, you know, that variation I think is a function of many, the, the nascent industry, obviously like different types of games, but I, I continue to be surprised at the level of kind of creativity and innovation that the industry exhibits um, and how they're thinking about it. And honestly, just like kind of inspires me to, to want to keep pushing the boundary myself, but um yeah, a lot of good things happen in the industry, I'd say. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take us off the rails myself because you're talking about that smash tourney. Um, like I remember uh, Goldeneye on the N64, friend of mine, his his father worked in technology. And so he had the capability in his house to string together four TVs <laughs> on the same console. 
And mm-hmm. we literally covered, you know, the one, three or four squares on the TV up with paper to have our own little turning. Again, awesome. probably maybe a step below what Project Aloha will be and, and what have you. But I, <laughs> I, I'd like to think of myself as the precursor to this. Right? I think you're really, uh, you, you blaze the trails, Chris. But let's talk a little bit about the Overwatch League itself. So we're, we're a few seasons in, uh, or a few seasons in, a few seasons in is true, but a few weeks into this season, uh, the Eastern region has uh, gotten underway. In fact, uh, uh, as of uh, recording, I played on a Thursday, and quite frankly, my pickums probably would have been better if I just didn't submit anything the way the results <laughs> went. You're, you're, you're at negative like I am at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, uh, we, we talked about this on our show. Pickums is a big thing yeah. between the three of us. Um, Jordan and Omni are up there, me not so much. But... Uh, our pickums aren't playing out maybe as we had hoped, but I actually wanted to ask you this question as a sort of, you know, look at the season. Has everything mm-hmm. sort of been playing out as attended or, um, you know, and I, I think it's fair to say, I mean, you've had to pivot what we've seen go on sort of in Eastern region uh, mm-hmm. within the situation uh, with yeah. the pandemic there. Um, today, you know, the the video came out with the update that uh, Project Aloha we brought back because of the limitations on, on travel and what have you. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. So I think, you know, we're seeing things, pivot on the fly, but are we still in this state of flux? Do you think, you know, every time, and this goes back to 2020, uh, I'm going to take us back a minute, uh, to literally when it was me, John and a few others during the pandemic, like, and we all thought, yeah, we're going to be mm-hmm. a couple weeks out of the office, like see you soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found that the more time went on, the worse that we were at predicting literally anything, <laughs> Um, and I kind of feel like we're largely still in some version of that today. Um, where like, I still want more than anything to be able to bring, I wouldn't want to do it in July, but, um, as I kind of mentioned today on Twitter too, I, I want so bad to be able to get all these teams in the land environment. Um, I want more for them to be safe. Uh, and like, to not try to get around any sort of, again, safety regulations or anything like we can't do that. And that's why we're pivoting. But um, I think we're, we're going to have to stay nimble by function of just what the world's continuing to go through and how different things are are hitting different regions and how different regions will react to those things. And so um, obviously so many things outside of the league's direct control, and we have to just continue to acknowledge that and, and do our best to adjust and make the best, most exciting kind of product that we can. Yeah. And I had another question tied to that. Um, of course, on top of what happened in, with the pandemic, the big elephant in the room is Overwatch 2. And to me, it's really a, a fascinating cha- challenge to look at because if you compare it like say to the nba it's not like they need to talk with an organization that invented basketball too or something like that <laughs> and they need to adapt constantly like how closely are you guys working with the overwatch team is there any like uh back and forth there and uh, some interesting situations that rise from all that the, all the time there's daily daily chatter um daily emails it's I mean, yeah, it's all the time and it, and it, it ranges right in terms of what we're talking to them about from balance patches. Um, I think Aaron's done a pretty good job of mentioning about how, you know, when, when the pros got on the alpha, 
um, in terms of the the things that Carpe <laughs> can do compared to like you know whatever internal alpha was originally run to test these things. Very advanced QA analysts, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so Carpe is our best QA analyst, uh, if you will. But no, um, in all seriousness, like they, there's like balance in one bucket that I think there continues to be a great benefit to both sides of, of kind of the, the, both the game team and how they're thinking about the, the, the balance philosophies. Um, but then obviously, um, the, the league and being able to provide input and, and having a voice there. Um, and then I think the, the reality is, is we're on a beta and, and I do think that even I forget that sometimes that this is not uh, a finished game yet. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be bugs. There's going to be things right. That, um, that, the dev team either hasn't caught or, or hasn't been able to, to get around to because it's a beta. <laughs> and so um, we're finding those things all the time. In, in fact, a team, uh, you know, sent us a, a, an email the other day with uh, a bug they found that they thought was, was you know, um, was didn't seem right. And and so that same day we, we took it to the dev team. We worked it out with, with them and they solve it. And so these things are just iterative. They're happening all the time in the background. Um, and, and to me, that's like been one of the coolest parts about this beta experience. I'd, I'd wager actually uh, a lot of the players out there that were in the beta don't realize it's a beta sometimes too. Maybe they just need a little <laughs> yeah. reminder. But it happens. Exactly. Wait, have yeah. you been reading Arcal recently, Jordan? Is... I do my best to stay I'm not of I'm Not to call them out, but I mean, I think there is a, I will admit there are times I'm like, oh man, is it, this is this is it. But then, oh no, it's a beta. There's much more to see. I mean, it's it's an early early version, and um, you know, I think talking about how we are still in a in a pandemic and there is a lot going on, um, we're seeing the Overwatch League transition or, or attempt to try to bring into you know a great opportunity for LAN. Um, not going to mm-hmm. lie, watching that Battle of Texas event, mm-hmm. just hearing the in person event and the pop. There's just something you know, that's there. I mean, I, I am a traditional sports viewer and when, uh, the NHL went into the bubble and had pumped in crowd noise or even the following season where they're still doing, this is not the same. Right. And, you know, I think one of the things that this sort of ties into and why I sort of bring it up as we're sort of talking about this being a beta is this transitionary period also has you having a sort of stick handle, uh, with a number of different stakeholders, right? You've got, you've got investors, you've got fans, you've got the players, you've got the organizations as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine they all have different expectations as to what the future holds, both for what's tomorrow and, you know, quite literally sort of as we see the, the development of the game. So, I mean, how can you manage all this? Like, how is it as head of Overwatch League being able to stick handle? Yeah, I'll tell you, um, it's one of the most interesting parts of the job for sure. Uh, the, the level of the, the amount and the breadth of uh, people that do have a, a stake in the game, no pun intended, is, uh, is vast. There's a lot of people. And um, I literally do keep a list of, of all the different um, um, kind of areas, like you mentioned, the players, the teams, uh, the press, the 
um, the fans, the, the, the forces that be. There's so many. Say what? <laughs> the forces that be. The forces that be, and so, um, and it's a it's a continual, especially as we start getting into, you know, what do we want to do next year and in the, the years beyond. Like it's increasingly important that uh, everyone has their voices heard. But at the end of the day, like we're doing this for fans and and for the players are like, I'd say the, the two most important, right? Because we're celebrating the players because of how skilled they are and their commitment and their dedication to the game. And we're celebrating the fans because they make all this possible. Um, and so like at the end of the day, yes, there's, there's a million different interests to, to ensure that we're, we're aligning just like, I guess, any large organization, but in my mind, it's like, what's, what's best for the fans and what's best for the players. Um, and try to fill in the small rocks around that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I imagine it also throws another wrench into the fact that uh, the league is international as well, which is uncommon in uh, in some areas of esports. So, yeah, the the global league nature is unique. You're right, and I think it's it's really really exciting, frankly, that we can celebrate um, these these matches in the East to the same exact same kind of level that we can in the West. And, and I think that's a, frankly, a differentiator for our league. Um, <laughs> but it's true. The, the logistical challenges that it brings up operationally mm-hmm. in so many ways, it's, it, it's real. But um, to me, I think the trade-offs are, um, are pretty cool right now. So, you know, and I, I think, you know, to jump on that a little bit and, and expand on how you, you know, address that, the return to land is is definitely a priority within the confines of, of health and safety, which I think is very important. In fact, as you yeah. expressed, the number one concern here, has there been any consideration to say, okay, we're going to go and I, I introduced the bubble environment, but seasons one and seasons two, you had teams all in one singular location playing on land in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, has there ever been consideration? Let's do this again and maybe restart the whole, you know, local uh, events once things you know settle down yeah there was definitely um you know talk about that um even more recently i mean that that was definitely brought up with the with the, the situation going on in shanghai is you know is there a world where we just bring the dragons specifically up to korea um or or somewhere else where they can kind of not necessarily be in, in a bubble in the sense that you're talking about, but at least like physical uh, relocation to, to kind of help solve um, some of the, some of the issues that come up from the, the global nature. And um, I think at the end of the day, one of the, one of the other differentiators that the league has is uh, these city-based teams. And when you, um, a common piece of feedback that we heard we've heard from teams is that when you do continue to just put all teams in one location in a bubble, it becomes a lot harder to activate locally. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, Toronto is is a fan, like honestly a fantastic example of this. Um, Adam and, and the team are, are so good at engaging, you know, the local Toronto fans, wanting to host events um, like they will later this year, and I'm excited to uh, to go to that. And so, like. Um, you lose all those, I think, unique opportunities to engage with local audience when you do the bubble. So, okay. 
And I, you know, it is a question that often gets asked because we saw, you know, season one and two, but then, you know, I mean, we talk about this on our show, um, mm-hmm. you know, we had a question, you know, that we were going to ask a little bit later on, Alex and I are here out West in Vancouver. We've got a team. We love going to watch parties. Wouldn't it be cool to go and watch an actual, you know, live event? You know, could you drop the juice on our show that that's going to happen? But <laughs> I, I, I get that. I, I do get that. I actually maybe want to follow up that with how do then we, you know, deal with sort of, for instance, a, a Philadelphia fusion team who is in the Eastern region. It helps with balance and, and what have you, but then you have a, that's right. You know, an NA based team in, in a, in a region that isn't as conducive for, let's say, if you are a local fan to necessarily, you know, tune in, I'm not suggesting it's impossible. Um, we sort of saw that as well last season. And I remember, you know, when, just before the pandemic, it was the first time that the Vancouver Titans had traveled uh, to uh, Korea. I think it was just before the pandemic or might've been just as things started. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Alex and I both woke up to watch the match. Unfortunately, it started a little bit earlier. So Alex might've missed it. Uh, so how, how does that sort of play into it? I guess, you know, when we see these teams having, you know, relocating for that reason. Yeah. You definitely have your exceptions, right? The Philadelphia, the Valiant, um, and then even, you know, last year, New York, who mm-hmm. wanted to come back to New York this year. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. But um, I think we, we, we want to allow flexibility, in addition to what I said before, to the teams that do want to um, either help out a certain region, which, you know, to, you kind of brought that up, which definitely helps to have L.A. Valiant and Philadelphia out in the East to help with some of that opponent diversity. Um, and at the same time, like, you know, teams are, are their own organizations. They all have different, you know, various goals and and strategies. And so I think our job as a league is to, um, optimize best we can for, you know, our goals while also being flexible to allow teams to achieve theirs as well. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that mixture of things is kind of what you see as a culmination in people like Phil or teams like Philadelphia and, uh, in, in the Valley. Mm-hmm. You know, talking a little bit about the, the broadcast itself and last year we saw, I think a revolution into the quality of the broadcast, uh, the Overwatch league was doing something that I can't say I even recognize across the esports scene. Um, with, I mean, if I think about the, the playoffs and the grand final having this fully virtual studio um like it was it was slick we see a return to sort of uh you know the broadcast studio uh being in a you know i guess a trailer mm-hmm. on the campus mm-hmm. i don't know how to describe it i'm not trying to sell it short it's a mobile studio a mobile studio oh, yeah, there you go um but there there've also been you know in the first couple of weeks some some hiccups um mm-hmm. production and all of that and i think it would be you know wrong for us not to ask like you know why change something that was working or is it just about trying to find the balance and here's an opportunity to try to bring back to normal and there would be hiccups as a result Yeah. I mean, there's nothing kind of like the live events thing. Um, and I know, you know, talking to Zoe, um, and and reinforcing Custa and Danny, um, there's just like nothing like fans being together. Um, in fact, I was just catching up with Zoe yesterday and she was mentioning to me, like, there's nothing like them being together either. Um, I think the ability to build chemistry, to have moments that, 
are a little bit more meaningful than you could get by looking at um, a little monitor up there and pretending like reinforces right next to you. Uh, side of the monitor. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, just adds that extra layer of 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 human um, element, right? And it's like, um, to me, falls under this kind of umbrella of like, there's so much more reason why we all like to watch esports than just um, headshot after headshot. Well, that's incredibly exciting and like obviously a, a big reason we do, but it's not the only. And it's why, you know, we make such a big push. We made such a big push um, during the pandemic, even for like player interviews when that was hard. Um, we wanted to make sure that players could get their faces on. It's why we changed the broadcast last year to have those player cams on all the time right there by the hero, right? And, and continue to do that. And it's like, as much as we can bring the human element, personalities, um, and then to the extent they can be together, like, yeah, it's it's brought up a couple of hiccups that um, we've, we've had to work through and wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> was not ideal. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super proud of the team that they worked through it, but like at the same time, um, I think we want to continue to, to, to take this path of getting people in person when, when it makes sense. So. Um, and another thing about the broadcast, and this is more a curiosity of mine, I got into the overwatch league during season two. And, and one of the things that season two provided, uh, an experience for someone who may not be completely in the scene was uh, a connection to mainstream media. Um, for instance, here in Canada, uh, once a week, you got to see sort of an Overwatch League match of the week on TSN uh, in one of our two national sports providers. And for those listeners in the US, it would be equivalent to your ESPN. Um, in fact, I think ESPN might have an ownership stake in TSN. We also saw um, the grand final broadcast during sports primetime uh, on ABC, which I think is, was, was huge, mm-hmm. you know, it's obviously pandemic occurs. So there's, there's a change in, in plans. And I will admit, I kind of found it curious that, you know, one of the things that continued to run when all other sports had to shut down was, was esports overwatch league. Yeah. Um, and there didn't seem to be, I'm not saying missed opportunity, but we seem to sort of miss out on that mechanism to connect to mainstream. So my question is, are there plans to try to get back into that mainstream space or is it, we've got a, an opportunity here with YouTube and you know, it, it makes better sense for us to focus our, our attention here. Yeah. So I think you're, you're absolutely right that since the beginning, there's always been um, ongoing conversation about these kinds of topics of going on linear television um, and, and in other places. And so we'll, as we always done, like continue to explore interesting opportunities um, that, that could be great fits. And, and frankly, that's across the world. Um, that's not just in the U S either. Um, and so, you know, we're, we are happy with uh, our, our current broadcast partner, YouTube and, and others across the world, the, the partnerships that we have, but we're, yeah, we're going to continue to stay open to, to those opportunities as they come up. Cool. So uh, it's time for the tough questions. If you need a stand-up stretch and you know, grab a glass of water, it, it might be it. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you because you being the, the guy at the top is probably someone who, who sees this across his desk more than, than anyone else. But, you know, we have seen esports just in general as a scene that sees 
player retirements occur often where a player is expressed, um, uh, you know, a, a personal issue with either you know mental health or what have you. They just find that the stressors are, are are too significant, and they make the decision that's most important. I think they they look out for them, themselves. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to ask you, you know, how much involvement does the league have in this? Is is there maybe an answer, or is this more something that rests with the teams, and we hope they they approach it accordingly? Yeah, so it's I'd say it's a mix, and, and broadly. Um, especially since the pandemic, right? Like mental mm-hmm. health and, and general well-being has been very much top of mind uh, for everyone, including myself. And like, frankly, I'm, I'm glad that's the case. I've personally like been able to, to benefit from some of the um, programs and just um, learnings and, and education that are out there. And so um, I think that's great. And I think in the, the games industry in particular, um, you hear stories of, of crunch and, uh, and in esports, you hear about these, these things you mentioned about of really, you know, tough schedules. And um, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody truly comprehends like how um, much work these, these professional players actually put into their craft, you know? Um, and so I'd say like to, to the, to the latter part of your question there, like, it's a collaborative approach um, between the teams, the players in the league. Like we definitely don't just take a, a step back and be like, Oh, okay. Teams. It's uh, not, not our problem. It's yours. Like that's not our approach in any way. Um, I think in, in the same vein, like mental health is, can be a, a very personal and private matter in a lot of ways. And so like, mm-hmm. I won't go into specifics of examples or anything like that. Like that wouldn't be appropriate, yeah. but um we, we know how much effort they're putting into it. We do have resources available to them at the league level. Um, so like places, one example, places there can speak freely and confidentially with, with medical professionals. Um, and, and then like, you know, at the same time, we, the, the teams are just from a practical point, the ones closest to them every day, like yep. um, as, as close as um, we all may want to be, um, to uh, to all our great players, like the, the teams are the ones that are there, and, and and I think it has to be a team effort of taking taking care of each other across the ecosystem. The you know, and I think about sort of the resources that are available. Like I know Vancouver had recently announced uh, that they have a partnership uh, or renewed a partnership with Anomas Esports. I think Adamus had also worked with. I want to say it was the Houston Outlaws. Um, when Adam was on our our show. He had talked about how, you know, they were setting sort of parameters around health and well-being. Like he, he t- specifically had talked about scrims and how often, you know, the players, you know, it might be uh, a full day of matches and then off they go to scrim until the the wee hours of the morning. And, you know, as an organization, like, no, let's, let's, let's reset some expectations mm-hmm. and, and define parameters. Has there been any discussion sort of at a league level to sort of set a framework where, okay, here's this sort of the, the bookends or what have you, and then allow the teams to work in it? Or is it still more sort of, Hey, each team knows their situation best. We're, we're maybe pointing them in a direction, but they, they can determine how they approach it. Yeah. I, I actually, I appreciate the Vancouver, right. Uh, Tim Holloway, their president, who you may know um, is really good about this kind of thing. And I know he cares a lot. Um, Oh man, my two-year-old just screamed really loud. I don't know if you heard that, but hopefully all the viewers at home like screaming two-year-olds. Um, we all have small children, so. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll say one thing that um, 
you know, we did last year and, and we're, um, we're working through nailing down what exactly it looks like this year, but uh, we did do some amount of forced breaks after each tournament. Um, so I don't know actually if a lot of people know this, but um, we wouldn't update the patch. This is how we forced it. We wouldn't update the patch of the game mm. on the, on the actual tournament club servers mm, right. um, to force to force teams to take a break basically because it was pointless for them to practice on an old patch that they wouldn't be competing on. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're looking at doing that again this year. It's a little trickier again because we're on a beta and like, yeah, you have to solve for both um, like bugs and, um, uh, and also giving play- players breaks because uh, yeah, the whole beta situation. But um yeah, I think um, there are still things that we continue to, to look at and do to to force those breaks that are fair, that make sense, and that like um, are agreeable to, um, to to the teams and the players. Fair enough, and I, I I'll be honest, I was not aware of the uh, sort of patch restriction. I, I I can't say I've seen much discussion, so I think you might be right. There might be a lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it, it's cool to hear that the the league is approaching it this way. Um, I mean, we talk on our show how, you know, mental health is, is very important. And like anytime a a player were to step back to focus on themselves, I think that's the the best decision, Mm -hmm. but I'll be also the first one to admit it's sometimes difficult for me to remind myself that uh, these are young adults. I'm, you know, when we think of professional sports retirements, it's still difficult to understand. Sometimes it's thirties and forties. And here we are talking about, you know, young adults who are correct who've been living in this scene. This is their, the experience that they know. They may not know of, of an alternative. And, and I think it's good to hear that there are resources and that are available. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, to sort of talk about this as a, as another aspect, um, or a servant through another lens. One of the things that we have seen, um, across, you know, just the, the gaming industry. Um, but I want to talk more about the, the esports side. Um, are things related to player conduct, um, toxicity. Um, unfortunately, the Overwatch League has, has not been immune to to some of these challenges over the course of the, the seasons. Um, without getting into the specifics, because obviously, I mean, this is not what the, this forum is about. I mean, is there anything that the, the league itself can do to help organizations prepare their players? Because, again, we're, we have young adults. It's a, a very fair question. Up in a scene. You're, you're right, we can't do the specifics, but... Uh, I do want to for sure get on the record and say, like, we, we take the violations of the player code of conduct, which we have a strict one. It's in place. Like, players sign it every single year, whether or not they're returning players. Like, you are required to attend a player training session that goes over the code of conduct. that has a very clear um, way of communication and reporting violations, whether it's yourself or somebody you see on your team or, or, or otherwise and throughout the league. Mm-hmm. And so um, we continue to deliver those kinds of trainings and tools, um, you know, as much as we can at the, at the league level. It's, it's very much, I think, uh, like the, the question that you asked before as well on, on well-being, that um, the, the responsibility is on, on both of us uh, in terms of the league and the teams. The teams, you know, we – there's a certain level of trust that we need to also give to them to equip their personnel um, with, with resources and, and just uh, trainings and tools to, to help these players understand who to your point are, are young adults and they're wonderful, but 
you know, help them understand what, what some of the um, guidelines really are and how to think about these things. Um, you know, and so we have open lines of communications with team personnel, players. We, we have an ongoing, ongoing, you know, chats, uh, both, both at the org level as well as the players level. And so I think constant contact is also something that, um, I, I strive for. It's like, um, we, we never want to be the league where people are afraid to come tell us anything. Like people need to know they can trust us and that we're going to take action um, against things that, that do violate the code of conduct and um, and are out of line. And so um, again, I think it's a, it's a team effort and I, I am actually like proud of of what the league has, has done. Um, And it's not always perfect. I'm not going to say that, but I think generally of how, how we've been able to handle some of these, um, these conduct situations that we've seen in the past. So, yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't want to suggest there's, there is an issue. Unfortunately, it's just things will occur. Um, in the world. Yes, for sure. Exactly. And I think we have seen, um, you know, teams as well get involved in, in situations um, and speak to, I'll do more than speak to their players when, when a problem appears. Right. Um, I, I sort of look at it in the, the sense of sort of role modeling and I want to, you know, I'll use sort of McGravy as an example here as a, mm-hmm. a player who had, you know, had some tenure in the league, uh, had grown up in the scene and he would be very often quick to point out like, not right. You, you know, is there an opportunity for the overwatch league to, to role model more frequently within the scene having, and I'm not suggesting like necessarily McGravy as an example, but like, players speak up. We see this in other professional leagues. Right. Um, and I wonder if maybe the overwatch league could, could adopt something like that. Absolutely. I mean, you need the people at the forefront who are competing and, um, are faces of, of the league and the esport and the game to be advocates. And that's something that we, we tell them, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was actually something exactly that I said in, the, in our, in our player training this year was like, listen, um, there's, there's, there's a cycle here. And as people see you, they will think of the league and they'll think of the game and they'll think of blizzard and they'll think of esports. And it's like, we're, we're, we're all in this together, first of all. And like the, the more you guys can speak out um, and be a, instead of just the, you know, the silent consenter, like be a vocal um, advocate for, fairness and like inclusion and, and all of that um, and watch your biases then like um, the, the ship just rises. And so hundred um, percent, like I'm all about that level of thinking and we've, we've definitely communicated that to, to, to the ecosystem as a whole in the past. We'll continue. Yeah. With great SR comes great responsibility. So Amen. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can use that line in the Overwatch uh, movie that, that will probably get sure. produced. At some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Warcraft had one Overwatch should probably be, you know, keyed up next. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back onto sort of some friendlier or easier topics. Um, let's bring you up North here to Canada. <laughs> I mean, we obviously have the return to live events. Toronto is going to be hosting the summer showdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask, will we see you here? It sounds like you will be coming up as you had mentioned earlier. I will be there. Um, the, you know, Canada's getting a, a pretty neat showcase, I guess, uh, in, in some respects, uh, we have a new hero uh, in, in Sojourn. We have a map, Queen Street, uh, or New Queen Street. Uh, uh, we have 
the summer showdown taking place. Um, any chance, you know, the West coast Vancouver will get some love. I mean, I mean, we've talked about it on our show. I don't know if maybe we could pass this on to Aaron, but we've got the perfect route for an escort map through like downtown Vancouver, <laughs> Stanley park. Hey, I would love an excuse. To, I've been telling Tim this for years. I want an excuse to go up to Vancouver real bad, especially if we can work out something where I can go skiing um, during the holidays <laughs> in the tournament. Uh, that's uh, that would be my goal. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, like the Titans have been awesome partners, um, and like live events uh, are you know opportunities for teams to engage and. I think making our first foray into Canada this year uh, is an exciting benchmark and I'm excited for, for Toronto and uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll continue to, to have that partnership with the Titans and, um, and, uh, and see what happens from there. So, you know, and, and sort of bouncing back to the East coast into Toronto, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, overactive media, the, the parent company of, of the Toronto client uh, have some big plans um, out East. One of them is building a, um, uh, esports. I'm, I don't know if it's still an esports specific facility, but it's definitely geared towards esports in mind, being slightly multi-purpose as to, to how it can be utilized. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you foresee as being also part of the the league plans to have such facilities in the the cities that that teams reside, or is it just sort of a nice to have and we will work with whatever we've got? Yeah, I mean. I think it's incredible. You know, Dallas is, is another team that um, that's been able to to leverage that, and I think it it's cool because it shows a real commitment to like a it is a such a clear and compelling sign to me of of an organization's level of commitment for the next. It's not a five year thing, right? This is like ten twenty. This is this means that you are in it for the long haul, and um, you know I think having partners like that in the league that we can continue to work with to have these local activations. Um, you know, that's, it's incredible. And, and, you know, um, we, we'd love for that kind of trend to continue on. I'm surprised Jordan hasn't asked you if uh, Calgary is going to be given an Overwatch League franchise. <laughs> no, it's not worth Calgary. asking. Yeah. Number, number one, next on the list. You no, know. perfect. Uh, perfect. Confirmed. <laughs> Uh, we're going to hold you that to that. If you've seen us on social media, we, we have long, long memories here. Um, as we look to sort of, you know, wrap uh, our conversation up here, uh, who's your favorite to hero in overwatch favorite hero in overwatch. That's a, it's a complicated question because my, my main is Ryan. Uh, okay. That's, that's, that's important. My main is Ryan. Uh, I've, I've probably put, at least half of my Overwatch playtime on Rhyme. Um, and still I'm the most comfortable. My favorite though, like to to play just for fun. Uh-huh. I don't know. Doomfist is pretty fun. What and you're saying Ryan isn't fun? I, I love Ryan. <laughs> he's so much. And he's not, you know, you don't quite get like the Yeah, yeah. Uh, the experience with that uh, for sure. With, like Genji and I feel like my tracer's been getting a little better lately. She's always been intimidating to me. Uh, she's so she's really complicated to play, but, um, uh, I feel like, you know, she's been getting better. And then from, a yeah, I'd say though, that's probably like my top three that, uh, when I hop onto overwatch at night and want to, want to grind it out, I'm probably looking at those. I, I, I keep thinking that someday I'm going to be better at Hanzo than I am. And I keep playing hmm. Hanzo and I still can't hit the headshots that I think I'm supposed to hit. So I think I might just have to, um, you know, either keep trying or 
Switch over to Junkrat. Yeah, what's 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 this group's uh, favorite favorite Overwatch heroes to play? Well, uh, seeing as I call our podcast the best one with the catchphrase, um, I, I am known as a Reinhardt is the answer to all problems. You need more support, need more Reinhardt. Not enough damage, need more Reinhardt. <laughs> need a you know meat shield. That's not Reinhardt because I'm just driving in with my hammer and he has the hammer to every nail, if you will. Exactly. I mean, I'll admit in the last patch of the the beta that we got to take part in, kick yada really intrigued me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, my team would probably not like the fact that I'd be up there with our like you know main tank trying to kick people. Mm-hmm. But hey, I mean, kick yada is just. I'm pretty excited to see like in God and <laughs> you know. Others on uh, the, yeah, the yeah. kicking out of this uh, this next tournament cycle. It's gonna be pretty fun. Yeah, for me, I'm I'm playing projectiles. Always have been like enjoying the Farah Hanzo. Although now with Overwatch Two, like I've been transitioning a little bit to the Genji. It's been Ooh. so much fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I've I've usually stuck with support. So Ana, but if I jump over, <laughs> to, has if to. I jump over to tank, then I'm going Winston for sure. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a good one. I mean, Ana's definitely my favorite support as well. She's yeah. uh, when you can hit those sleeps uh, like the far out of the sky. Yeah, that, not not much more rewarding. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, favorite map, new or old? Favorite map? Can I just say the Coliseo music <laughs> in the bay? There's something about it, and I, like mm. I know that's a weird reason to like a map, uh-huh. but every time Coliseo would come up and be like. I don't know this just epic music in my ears. Um, I really loved it, but um, I actually really, really liked um, Casino or Circuit Circuit Royal um, Monte Carlo. Uh, I thought it was a really good mix of like just continually giving the defense a little bit of, of high ground and, and that slight mm. advantage um, without it being like overbearing and, and still keeping it interesting. Yes. So like the you know the um, you turn the point, you get to point B and then there's that really high wall. Yeah. Like I've always thought that was a super fun and interesting way to either flank or yeah. like get up and down as Winston. And so like, um, I think I was always up. saying make, make overwatch vertical again. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Example. Exactly. Yeah. We did that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Do you miss two CP? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it may be one of those things where um i won't miss it for a minute and then like after a while i'll be like man yeah. uh or maybe i won't maybe i want anubis back um but uh, uh so far it, don't, don't miss it too much yeah watching it was fun playing not so much <laughs> I'd say. that's true that's that's that's, that's fair there's sometimes yeah a uh uh what you what you play isn't uh, always the most fun to watch and vice versa for sure <laughs> Yeah, no, I like we talk about this on the show. Like, I was a big fan of Anubis yeah. as a map. I understand that play as a mode may not be as conducive, and that's I think if if there's one thing that would be cool to see happen in Overwatch Two is some of these resources be you know reutilized or, or reworked to to be brought back into the PvP side. Uh, I'm yeah, I mean it could be that it might be PvE for all we know. Maybe you could you know share that juice now. <laughs> Silence is no, uh, but that's the thing that I, I would I would love to see is is these assets being put to use again. Yeah, I mean, I think you know what you saw in Overwatch One, um, 
and like Paris continues to be a death match mode, uh-huh. right? And um, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's exciting. It's a, it's it's super fun to just think about like you know all the potential that Overwatch Two will bring and and, and options and um, so yeah, it's super fun to think about. Going to the moon with Horizon Lunar Colony. <laughs> yeah. <That's right. laughs> Okay, I gotta I, I gotta be honest. Some of the best team fights I ever had, sort of in the latter part of of Overwatch's experiences on on uh, Lunar Colony out in space, like that six v six, everyone's out there is just pure madness. Mm-hmm. I think it's why I like the. I'm trying to think, it was like no gravity Low mode gravity or whatever mode, that showed yeah. up in arcade. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was just it was fun. Like I mean, as an arcade experience, oh, like I totally get it. Competitive, I can, I can, I can totally see why that's not fun. Yeah, um, but no, I, I'm with you. I really liked uh, Horizon Lunar Colony. It was uh, um, I obviously like we know why it was um, adjusted or, or moved from the competitive pool, but uh, I still think it was a pretty fun map and like generally pretty well designed. With again the, the verticality, bringing back the high ground and kind of that mm. first time was always fun. But yeah. yeah. So uh, you're not playing Overwatch. What are you playing? I mean, you've already said you you're a, a Smash. Uh, Play, like Smash. Is there anything else? I haven't played Smash in a minute, but um, I'd say my favorite non-competitive game uh, of all time is probably Breath of the Wild. Um, oh. I've played through that in its entirety twice now. Um, and uh, just something about that whole world that they created um, is, is so incredible to me. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's what I'm playing. I, now that I have a five-year-old, we are playing through the Lego Star Wars Skywalker saga. Um, yeah. so that's been pretty fun. Uh, there's some pretty zany uh, lines and, and scenes in there that you're like, that's actually kind of funny, even though I know that was made for a, like a world. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's been entertaining us both. Um, and uh, I, I think the other thing that I love about just like the Switch is not even a particular game, but like one thing that we like to do is is use the Switch as a platform to discover just indie games. I think mm-hmm. like one of the things that Nintendo did really, really well was uh, made a platform that was super conducive to just having some of these indie developers get in and uh, port their stuff. And so like it's it's just super cool and, and fun for me to go, my wife to like be like, well, you know, what's what's the hot game that's five or ten bucks on the switch right now and download it and try it out like that's been um it continues to be something that we like to enjoy cool cool well i mean it's been a a great time hanging out with you i i had said earlier we were going to keep you for a couple of hours but uh i mean we would if you'd want to stay <laughs> unfortunately do have to go but thank you <laughs> but uh, any final words that you wanted to, to share with the, all the listeners that are tuning in you know i think got some big events coming up um, and make sure to tune in. If, if listeners are in any of these um, markets or these areas, um, and even if you're not right where um, some of these live events are happening, Dallas and Toronto, and we'll have more details on, on postseason coming, but um, look, look for tickets, try to attend these live events there. They really are, you know, if, if you haven't been to one, as you all know, it's, it's pretty eye opening and, um, changes your view on what makes esports so exciting when you do go. Right. And so just encourage, you know, any listener to, to, to try to find a way to um, if it's a driver, uh, a long drive or a short drive, like um, 
it's just so worth it. As soon as that team comes to Calgary, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> Edmonton. Or Edmonton. I'll take either. I will take either. I will make the drive if I have to. <laughs> he'll 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 be lining up for tickets the moment the franchise is announced. Grand, whether or not there's actually a live event. Grand Finals twenty twenty seven. Sounds good. I'll hold you to it. <laughs> yeah, so we've been talking to Sean Miller, head of the Overwatch League. You can find him on Twitter if you haven't already followed him. He is at Sean underscore M Mills. That is two M's. Uh, but again, Sean, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here at uh, Ready Set Pound, and hopefully we can uh, talk to you again uh, later on as the season uh, unfolds. Yes, likewise. Thanks so much, y'all. Appreciate it. Ah, impressive, if I do say so myself. I have to admit that I thoroughly enjoyed having the chance to sit down with Sean to talk about the Overwatch League, and I wasn't lying when I said at the top of the interview that we were kind of shocked he even agreed to do so. As all of our regular listeners know, we usually publish a new episode each Wednesday where we talk about all you need to know about the Toronto Defiant and Vancouver Titans before we dive into the world of the Overwatch League and the game itself. Yet we just couldn't sit on this conversation until next week and decided to share it with everyone as a bonus episode as we head into the weekend. If you enjoyed the conversation, why not smash that subscribe button and listen to us each week? You can also find our entire catalog of episodes all the way back to just before season two at readysetpone.com. I mean, we've spoken to players, both current and past. We've chatted with GMs, we've chatted with coaches, and we've even sat down with owners from time to time. And every episode in between, it's just the three of us having fun talking about a game in a league we love to hate and maybe sometimes hate to love. And if you want to share your thoughts on this episode or pretty much anything for that matter, shoot us a note on Twitter at Ready, Set, Pwn, or join RSP Discord, discord.io slash readysetpwn. Again, on behalf of myself, Chris, at Lightforce, Omni, at Omnistrife, and Jordan, at Sir Dr. JM, at Rays. Thank you.